said salute. Welcome back to the Manifesting Podcast. Just a quick rundown of what we're going to be discussing this week. We'll be continuing our read-through of philosophical trends in the feminist movement. Last week we covered the introduction and a brief overview of the women's movement in the West. So this week we'll be starting on chapter one, which covers liberal feminism. Just a quick caveat, and I know it's something I did address previously. As a cis white male, the thought did go through my head, should I be the one presenting philosophical trends in the feminist movement in an audiobook format or like an online reading group format? I think the the nature of this project and the way it's structured provides me a unique opportunity to do so because there are built-in critiques throughout the book. That's kind of the point of the book in the first place is the author is giving you a summation of the different variations of feminist thought and then she's providing a really rock solid critique about each one. So I feel comfortable presenting it. Hopefully you agree with that. If you find any issue with that, um, I, I'm totally open to criticism on that basis, but um, I just wanted to address that. I feel like it's important to address that. That being said, I did also want to give you all a quick reminder. I am getting physical copies of this book produced. I've got the first run in and they're looking pretty good. And as I've said before, this can be a hard book to track down in a physical format. So if you are interested in receiving copies of this just for yourself individually or for maybe a group you're working with, definitely hit me up on Twitter and we can work together on making sure I get those out to you for as close to $0 as possible. Before we jump into the first chapter, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't at least say a little something about the COVID-19 virus. At this point, I think I'm in the same boat that we're all in. We're just watching this thing develop kind of in horror. You have major organizations like the NBA and Major League Baseball suspending their seasons. We see like even like Broadway shut down. I mean, fucking Tom Hanks has, has the virus at this point. So it is, um, you know, it's not something to laugh at. I think it is something to politicize from the fact that, like, yeah, people should probably have health care. Like, imagine that, you know, look no further than the response from places like Vietnam and Cuba these uh, socialist dictatorships, <laughs> if you will, that are handling this in probably the best way possible, certainly better than places like the United States. So, I mean, there's not a lot to say on it. We're just watching it develop. The one silver lining here is like Jair Bolsonaro maybe has it. So if he dies, like that's a, that's a net plus for us as a people. So keeping my eyes on that, of course, just like you are. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, death threats, or if you do want physical copies of the book that we are about to read through here, definitely hit me up on Twitter at ManifestPod. Chapter 1. Liberal Feminism Liberal feminist thought has enjoyed a long history in the 18th and 19th centuries, with thinkers such as Mary Wollstonecraft, 1759-1797, Harriet Taylor Mill, 1807-1858, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, 1815-1902, arguing for the rights of women on the basis of liberal philosophical understanding. The movement for equal rights to women, especially the struggle for the right to vote, was primarily based on liberal thought. Earlier liberal political philosophers like Jean Locke and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who had argued for the rule of reason and equality of all, did not include women in their understanding of those deserving of equality, particularly political equality. They failed to apply their liberal theory to the position of women in society. 
The values of liberalism, including the core belief in the importance and autonomy of the individual, was developed in the 17th century. It emerged with the development of capitalism in Europe in opposition to feudal, patriarchal values based on inequality. It was the philosophy of the rising bourgeoisie. The feudal values were based on the belief of the inherent superiority of the elite, especially the monarchs. The rest were subjects and subordinates. They defended hierarchy with unequal rights and power. In opposition to these feudal values, liberal philosophy advanced a belief in the natural equality and freedom of human beings. They advocated a social and political structure that would recognize equality of all individuals and provide them with an equality of opportunity. This philosophy was rigorously rational and secular and the most powerful and progressive formulation of the Enlightenment period. It was marked by intense individualism. Yet the famous 18th century liberal philosophers like Rousseau and Locke did not apply the same principles to the patriarchal family and the position of women within it. This was the residual patriarchal bias of liberalism that applied only to men in the market." Unquote. Zilla Eisenstein. Mary Wollstonecraft belonged to the radical section of the intellectual aristocracy in England that supported the French and American revolutions. She wrote, A Vindication of the Rights of Women in 1791 in response to Edmund Burke's conservative interpretation of the significance of the French Revolution. In the booklet, she argued against the feudal, patriarchal notions about women's natural dependence on men, that women were created to please men, and that they cannot be independent. Wollstonecraft wrote before the rise of the women's movement, and her arguments are based on logic and rationality. Underlying Wollstonecraft's analysis are the basic principles of the Enlightenment, the belief in the human capacity to reason, and in the concepts of freedom and equality that preceded and accompanied the French and American revolutions. She recognized reason as the only authority, and argued that unless women were encouraged to develop their rational potential and to rely on their own judgment, the progress of all humanity would be stymied. She argued primarily in favor of women getting the same education as men, so that they could also be imbibed with the qualities of rational thinking, and should be provided with opportunities for earning and leading an independent life. She strongly criticized Rousseau's ideas on women's education. According to her, Rousseau's arguments that women's education should be different from that of men have contributed to make women more artificially weak characters. Rousseau's logic was that women should be educated in a manner so as to impress upon them that obedience is the highest virtue. Her arguments reflect the class limitations of her thinking. While she wrote that women from the common classes displayed more virtue because they worked and were to some extent independent, she also believed that the most respectable women are the most oppressed. Her book was influential even in America at that time. Harriet Taylor, also part of the bourgeois intellectual circles of London and wife of the well-known utilitarian philosopher James Stuart Mill, wrote On the Enfranchisement of Women in 1851 in support of the women's movement just as it emerged in the U.S. Giving stark liberal arguments against opponents of women's rights and in favor of women having the same rights as men, she wrote, quote, We deny the right of any portion of the species to decide for another portion, or any individual for another individual, what is and what is not their proper sphere. The proper sphere for all human beings is the largest and highest which they are able to attain to." Unquote. Noting the significance of the fact that she wrote, the world is very young and has just but begun to cast off injustice, is now only getting rid of Negro slavery. Can we wonder it has not yet done as much for women? In fact, the liberal basis of the women's movement as it emerged in the mid-19th century in the U.S. is clear in the Seneca Falls Declaration of 1848. 
The Declaration at the First National Convention began thus, quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, end quote. In the next phase of the women's movement in the late 1960s, among the leading proponents of liberal ideas were Betty Friedan, Bella Abzug, and Pat Schroeder. Friedan founded the National Organization of Women, or NOW, in 1966. The liberal feminists emerged from among those who were working in the women's rights groups, government agencies, commissions, etc. Their initial concern was to get laws amended which denied equality to women in the sphere of education, employment, etc. They also campaigned against social conventions that limited the women's opportunities on the basis of their gender. But as these legal and educational barriers began to fall, it became clear that the liberal strategy of changing the laws within the existing system was not enough to get women justice and freedom. They shifted their emphasis to struggling for equality of conditions rather than merely equality of opportunity. This meant the demand that the state play a more active role in creating the conditions in which women can actually realize opportunities. The demand for childcare, welfare, healthcare, unemployment wage, and other support for the single mother to be taken up by liberal feminists. The struggle for the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA, has also been led by this section among feminists. The work of the liberal section among feminists has been through national level organizations, thus garnering media attention. A section among the liberal feminists, like Zilla Eisenstein, argue that liberalism has a potential as a liberating ideology because working women can, through their life experiences, see the contradiction between liberal democracy as an ideology and capitalist patriarchy, which denies them the equality promised by this ideology. But liberalism was not the influential trend within the movement in this phase. Critique Liberalism as a philosophy emerged within the womb of feudal Western society as the bourgeoisie was struggling to come to power. Hence, it included an attack on the feudal values of divinely ordained truth and hierarchy, social inequality. It stood for reason and equal rights for all individuals. But this philosophy was based on extreme individualism rather than collective effort. Hence, it promoted the approach that if formal and legal equality was given to all, then it was for the individuals to take advantage of the opportunities available and become successful in life. The question of class differences and the effect of class differences on opportunities available to people was not taken into consideration. Initially, liberalism played a progressive role in breaking the feudal social and political institutions. But in the 19th century, after the growth of the working class and its movements, the limitations of liberal thinking came to the fore. For the bourgeoisie that had come to power did not extend the rights it professed to the poor and other oppressed sections, like women or blacks in the U.S., they had to struggle for their rights. The women's movement and the black movement in that phase were able to demand their rights utilizing the arguments of the liberals. Women from the bourgeois classes were in the forefront of this movement and they did not extend the question of rights to the working classes, including working class women. But as working class ideologies emerged, various trends of socialism found support among the active sections of the working class. They began to question the very bourgeois socio-economic and political system and the limitations of liberal ideology, with its emphasis on formal equality and individual freedom. In this phase, liberalism lost its progressive role, and we see that the main women's organizations, both in the U.S. and England, fighting for suffrage, had a very narrow aim and became pro-imperialist and anti-working class. In the present phase, liberal feminists 
have had to go beyond the narrow confines of formal equality to campaign for positive collective rights like welfare measures for single mothers, prisoners, etc., and a demand for a welfare state. Liberalism has the following weaknesses. 1. It focuses on the individual rights rather than collective rights. 2. It is ahistorical. It does not have a comprehensive understanding of women's role in history, nor has it any analysis for the subordination or subjugation of women. 3. It tends to be mechanical in its support for formal equality without a concrete understanding of the condition of different sections or classes of women and their specific problems. Hence, it was able to express the demands of the middle classes, white women from middle classes in the U.S. and upper class, or upper caste women in India, but not those of women from various oppressed ethnic groups, castes, and the working, laboring classes. 5. It believes that the state is neutral and can be made to intervene in favor of women, when in fact the bourgeois state in the capitalist countries and the semi-colonial and semi-feudal Indian state are patriarchal and will not support women's struggle for emancipation. The state is defending the interests of the ruling classes who benefit from the subordination and devalued status of women. 6. Since it focuses on changes in law, the state schemes for women, it has emphasized lobbying and petitioning as means to get their demands. The liberal trend most often has restricted its activities to meetings and conventions, and mobilizing petitions calling for changes. It has rarely mobilized the strength of the mass of women, and is in fact afraid of the militant mobilization of poor women in large numbers.